Greetings, welcome, bienvenidos, hola, aloha, ni hao, namaste, konnichiwa, bonjour, bonjourno, saudi karab, guten tak, jau, wivi, vakat, bang, half a day, jai janendra, salam, shalom, peace, now, go vegan, peace how, go vegan. From the new right-left coast of the genetically mutated McNugget Pharmaceutical Vivisection Prison Killitary Industrial Core Poor Nation in the cheese-covered post-constitutional bankster bankrupt corruptocracy mocracy criminocracy unchallenged by metea meteocrity foodborne in the NSA NRA CIA uh, USA. Uh, home of Uncle Salmonella, where they sure do eat a lot of dead animal body parts, and the Wall Street-backed corporate diet of death, disease, and destruction is shoved down your throat. This is Go Vegan Radio with Bob Linden. Thank you for joining me. Um, I I thank me for joining me. I, it's been a little hard getting back up to the Bay Area. Um, it's had to be down in Los Angeles for a few days last week, and then uh, coming back, I I had my harrowing experience with the rental car, and uh, so I didn't get back that long ago. So I'm I'm suffering. What's it called? Like when you when you drive many hours, you know, like it's kind of the driving equivalent of. Uh, jet lag I, I i guess it's a road rage I, I'm, I'm i'm just suffering uh, road rage but a fatigued road rage so um uh, yeah quite quite amazing uh, oh so i'm i'm uh, yes i was driving uh, a new chevy malibu the, the car rented from enterprise the malibu uh, kind of ironic malibu like you know Almost like pretentious on the outside and uh, kind of messed up on the inside. Um, I don't mean to say that about Malibu. I used to hang out in Malibu quite a bit. Um, maybe I want to say that about the car model, though. Um, yeah, no, good good friends in Malibu, uh, but uh, driving a Chevy Malibu. Uh, friends don't let friends drive uh, Chevy Malibus. I don't think. So it's a rental car, brand new car, Chevrolet, you know, with all the all the taxpayer money General Motors has. Uh, GM and Chevrolet were certainly able to hire some designers. I mean, the aesthetics of the line, the Chevy line, the cars are cars are quite beautiful. The Malibu is, you know, a very attractive vehicle, ah, but it's a Chevy. So. I'm driving back from L.A. I'm about, oh, a half hour north of uh, San Jose. I'm in the left lane. I know, hard to believe that a vegan talk show host would would be in the left lane, uh, observing the speed limit, of course. And uh, I lose power. Suddenly, uh, an engine light comes on. And I can't accelerate. The car is decelerating. I'm losing power. I'm thinking, I well, I have to, have to move over, you know, like three or four lanes to get to the right lane. And uh, it's just kind of puttering along. I 
do make it to the right lane, you know, uh, just kind of amazing to do when you have to get from the left lane to the right lane and your car is going slow and losing power. Um, and I thought, well, I'll, I'm in the right lane. I'll either be able to pull over on the right shoulder or uh, maybe make it to the next exit. So I did. I made it to the next exit. Uh, I was in Fremont and made it to a, uh, a church parking lot over there. So um, I called uh, emergency road service through Enterprise. And uh, about an hour and a half later, the tow truck arrived. Um, and then I'm losing power in my phone and, you know, the engine's dying. So how am I going to charge my phone? These, these are the modern day um, challenges of survival, right? I mean, I, and, you know, I kind of feel wimpy even mentioning this because I'm not a refugee from Libya, but, you know, what happens when, you know, you're driving somewhere, car breaks down, uh, no power in the phone? What do you do? Uh, well, I just had a little bit of power in the phone. Um, so, of course, the uh, the person that I called from the uh, emergency service for uh, Enterprise gave the tow truck driver the wrong address, so he didn't know how to get there. And then when he finally found uh, the church, he still couldn't find me because he didn't realize I was parked inside uh, the parking lot. I was looking, you know, Daisy and I were looking like, this is our campground, you know, and uh, we can make it. We, we can survive. We have some uh, takeout chow mein from Vegetarian House. So, you know, I'm feeling pretty good that I have delicious organic vegan food, chow mein. I was just at Vegetarian House, uh, you know, a half hour earlier. Um, Daisy has uh, cans of evolution. We have, uh, we have spring water, so we're going to survive. There are bushes nearby, so... We can make it, okay? So anyway, the tow truck driver finally does find us. And I started to explain what happened. And he said, oh, so it, it went into limp mode. And uh, he said that uh, there's, there's been this talk among tow truck drivers about this limp mode that uh, Chevys and other cars uh, seem to uh, see, just seems to happen. So, you know, and, and he described it exactly that you lose power and you kind of just have, have enough energy to, to limp to the ne next uh, exit. Um, now, I didn't know if limp mode meant uh, like the car just goes completely limp and shuts down, but I can see how we did limp to the next exit. But um, there's, there's my concern if tow truck drivers are talking about... Uh, this uh, situation or condition called limp mode. Uh, does the public know about it? And is it safe to rent a Chevrolet? Now, uh, this is the first I've heard about limp mode and, uh, you know, at least applying to cars, I suppose. And, uh, and, and the tow truck driver said, I mean, it's not just Chevys that, you know, a number of cars that are so highly computerized right now, um, have this situation he, he did mention uh, bmws also in addition to chevys but um i would never you know never rent a chevrolet again and 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 you know we're hearing all of this information about how your car can be controlled somebody can hack into the computer the cia you know the cia can just 
make you drive off a cliff. You know, there, there was all this talk about how, how the CIA uh, has this ability and it didn't protect it. You know, so it's kind of gotten out there. So as soon as I mentioned this incident to a friend, he thought, uh, wow, it could have been the Cattlemen's Association got a hold of your car computer. Um, I thought of an ex-girlfriend myself, but uh, could be anyone, right? Does, we're just so computerized. And then he said, also the steering column, you know, with the Chevrolet, you know, it's not mechanical. Now that's digital also and you know i don't know if if uh how many times you know my my computer seems to go wild is an indication of my faith in you know entrusting our lives to computers like this but uh limp mode huh um and is this something that needs to be publicized i thought well i i should mention this because you know of course i i took it back to enterprise and you know the the manager in enterprise didn't think it was a problem he seemed to think well you know gm and enterprise are you know always on top of things but you know when i think about general motors i mean that's the company that uh didn't want to put a what was it for you know, for the ignition key, um, people were dying because it could slip. Uh, the engine could slip off if you bumped into it. And uh, that could have been remedied by another switch that cost about a dollar and a half. So I know the, the value that uh, some corporations place on our lives. Um, and so I guess that'll be it for my uh, renting. Oh, so. All right, so <laughs> so I'm out there in the middle of nowhere, and he comes around, and then you know, Enterprise said, "Okay, well, uh, you need to come back all the way to San Jose to the airport to the counter there, and you know, we'll give you a car." And then the tow truck driver says, "I can't take you to the airport. You know, the the height of the vehicle is too much," um, and. Uh, he gets hassled by Homeland Security when he goes there, and he's just supposed to take the car to a service center. Um, and uh, he's, he's not a taxi driver. You know? So uh, it left me in a bit of a quandary. So uh, we, were, we had to do the, the Motel 6 that night, and then uh, it turns out, you know, Enterprise is the company that picks you up, except from airport locations. I found that I called enterprise the next morning and it said, well, you know, well, uh, you know, to replace your car, you know, for us to deliver, it, it'll take five hours. And of course, five hours would mean I'd have to be out of the motel room and all my possessions, you know, thrown outside, like I'm evicted. So, uh, luckily I was able to find my friend Alfredo Cuba in, uh, Mountain View, and uh, he, uh, a good vegan activist, and he came and took me over to Enterprise. <laughs> the, uh, the the representative of uh, Enterprise told me there are no cars available. This was on the phone. She said there there are no cars available, so just go to the nationwide counter, and they'll take care of you. And I went to the nationwide counter, and it. Uh, had no idea, you know, what I was supposed to do. So it said, oh, we'll go over to the Enterprise counter. So I went to the Enterprise counter at San Jose Airport, and uh, 
Uh, the people there said, we, we can't give you another car unless uh, you have the other car with you that, you know, we're, we're swapping. I said, uh, the tow truck driver took it last night. Limp mode, you know, limp mode last night. Uh, thought they thought I was rather strange, just, you know, blurting out limp mode, limp mode. But uh, what you going to do? So eventually they sent me to the sixth floor of the garage um, where, of course, Daisy won over their hearts and uh, made things happen. And we got into a Nissan Altima and, uh, you know, a reliable car. Not, I don't know. <laughs> I don't. I just don't feel American cars are that reliable. Like I, I, I just the motivation. I don't know. There's just some something sometimes I feel about the American spirit that needs a a bit of an overhaul. Um, and I think uh, any car, including maybe the Malibu, uh, that uh, goes into limp mode, needs a bit of an overhaul. And so I did want to mention that to you, just in case. Uh, you know, I, I think. I think it's a health concern. I, you know, I think it's a, you know, a, a, a public risk, you know. Um, I think I'm the Ralph Nader of 2017 bringing this up. I mean, we can't have cars stalling all, all over the place. And then on the engine, the engine, you know, it, it said engine was operating at, uh, what did it say, minimized power or something, you know, on, on the screen. So, but believe me, I knew that. I knew that when I was driving and... Uh, hoping to survive the ordeal and uh of course of course any refugee from libya right now would be would, would trade such problems right oh, such problems yeah you're driving a you're driving a, a new malibu right almost almost driving a new malibu so um so you might take that into consideration if you need to rent a car in the future and i think i i will follow up on this because uh you know this is what the tow truck driver said if, if there's talk among tow truck drivers about limp mode um i don't know if they're talking about viagra or the chevy malibu i don't know if they're talking about uh the Altima, I, 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 I'm, I'm. It's always strange to me to drive a car, and and to me, car names can be interchangeable with uh, pharmaceutical drug names. Uh, you know, I play a game. I, you know, to me, I never know which is which. So, so I drove the uh, Nissan. Uh, I drove the Altima home. Uh, the side effects of taking Altima, you know, your brain could explode. Your heart. You know, all those commercials with the side effects of the drugs that they're recommending, the drugs that you need to take because you eat meat, dairy, fish, and eggs, and you need those drugs, or at least you think you need those drugs when you really need to go vegan. But I'm not a doctor. I'm just talking like one right now. No, I'm not even talking like one because doctors don't talk like this, right? They Like surgery or medication. I prescribe that you take, uh, take an Ultima. You know, uh, every four hours. Okay. So it was great to be in LA, you know, as much as I love the East Bay where I live, I'm at least 20 minutes, 20 miles or so from the nearest vegan restaurant. And again, I, I hear all the sympathy from the, 
refugees from Libya and Syria and throughout the, the Middle East, all the victims of Hillary Clinton and Obama policies. So I know it's, I know the sympathy I get. Um, so um, I'm at least 20 miles from a vegan restaurant. I know that there are people out there who are, you know, not, don't, don't even have a vegan restaurant within 200 miles or maybe even 2,000 miles. So, uh, so I guess uh, I'll just feel sorry for myself uh, in my situation here. So, but when I go to a place like Los Angeles and hang out in the San Fernando Valley, I, uh, I, I go a little wild because there are restaurants all around. So um, what I usually do is I take, and I did take the 101 back because I, I wanted to avoid Cowschwitz on Interstate 5. I mean, that is just, it's just so depressing to, to pass that lot with, you know, it's like 100,000 cows condemned to death. Um, Harris Ranch, Harris Beef. Uh, isn't that appetizing? Whenever, whenever that odor hits you as you're driving on the 5 and you, you pass Cowschwitz, you know, and uh, look, mommy, moo moo. Look, look at all the moo moos, you know, in, in their own own excrement in the mud. Uh, all to be, all to be stabbed for the happy meal pleasure. So, um, so I did take the 101 uh, home, you know, back up from LA. It's a little bit of a longer ride, but it does put me past vegetarian house, which is always exciting for me getting into San Jose. So uh, it was great to be over there, vegetarian house. This really, I think, just about my favorite vegan restaurant. It's it's up there, tied for number one with with any any others. Hundred percent vegan restaurant, and it's organic, non GMO. Five twenty East Santa Clara Street. Okay, Google directions to five twenty East Santa Clara Street. Google is always listening, Big Brother Google. Um, so that was great going going back but but I did come down using the 5 because you know time time considerations uh so I take the 5 I get off on the 405 and I mean it's just a pattern I go to Reseda get off at Sherman Way and uh you know head toward Vinloy Tofu um Vegans are foodies, you know. I mean, like food addicts to really great food. So, um, Kevin at Vinloy Tofu, it's a little vegan um, Vietnamese restaurant. Uh, what is it? Sherman Way, and I don't know, about five blocks west of Reseda Boulevard. And I get the number one soup. I always get the number one soup, no matter what I think, you know have to get the number one soup and i recommend to you the number one soup at vinloy tofu that's v-i-n-h-l-o-i and say hi to kevin for me i uh, get the number one soup light spice you can always add more uh you know kevin can go a little wild on spice there so what some people consider light medium and heavy others consider you know like uh fire alarm uh, had had my heat episodes over there, but anyway, so you must get the number one soup and also the udon noodle stir fry, 
Uh, don't get the barbecue stir fry with the uh, vegan duck. Just get the udon noodle stir fry. Stir fry that is heavenly. So that's my first stop usually when I get to L.A. Um, where else did we go? Oh, there was another really good restaurant. I can't believe it. Um, in Sherman Oaks. I used to live in Sherman Oaks. There's a little shopping center on Van Nuys Boulevard and Ventura Boulevard where uh, the healthy discount health food store is. I used to go there all the time. Um, I think it was for the carob clusters. Might have been chocolate clusters, but let's say carob clusters right now just to, um, I don't know, sound healthier? (laughs) No, chocolate. Chocolate is good you know, psychologically. Um, and so right there in that same shopping center where I went, you know, so many times is V station. That's V E V E station. And that food was really fantastic. What I had, I had the Buddha wrap and the, uh, yellow curry was, uh, spectacular. And, uh, it's amazing. We said, well, how long has this restaurant been over here? Four years. Four years. I haven't, you know, I mean, it's true. I did leave L.A. about four years ago and move up here, and I didn't hear the news about that. But, okay, in Sherman Oaks, if you're there, V-E-V station, uh, highly recommended. Uh, I didn't get a chance to go to Grain Cafe. My friend Arlo mentioned, you know, because I wanted to do breakfast. And right now I'm uh, trying my darndest to stick to my uh, – my personal policy of supporting vegan, you know, 100% vegan restaurants when when they're in the area, in the neighborhood, uh, I will choose to go to a vegan restaurant over uh, anything else. So um, I didn't make it to Grain Cafe down on Pico, which looks like it has uh, great breakfast. And, okay, maybe maybe next time I'm in L.A., Oh, I made it to Garden Walk uh, in Tarzana. Uh, yeah, Tarzana. I lived in Tarzana when I was married. Um, so uh, it's quite an act. <laughs> Reseda Boulevard is quite, quite, a, quite the memories for me. And right there on Reseda Boulevard, Garden Walk. And I, uh, among my Tarzana memories, the crispy noodle chow mein. You know, it's like crispy noodles, but then they get soggy and really tasty. So I, I like that a lot. It's interesting. When I when I go to L.A., I mean, it is like home to me, although, you know, a bit of a kind of a plastic home or more of a you know, shopping mall home. I don't know. When, when I first went out to L.A., you know, I'm from New York, and I went to L.A., and it was like, where is LA? What is LA? Where's like, is there a center of the city? Like where are the neighborhoods? You know, it just seems to be like a never ending freeway with never ending malls. Um, but as long as there's a vegan restaurant in the mall, I don't know, maybe that makes up for it a little bit. So when I go to LA, it's like, this is your life, Bob Linden. And, um, I wound up having to be, uh, you know, near West Hollywood and Beverly Hills. And so I'm driving along Sunset Boulevard. And what, oh, 
what was the address? Uh, I think it was 8730. Uh, I'm trying to Google it now. Playboy Building, Sunset Boulevard. Sunset Boulevard. Should I do this before the show? Or should I do it right while I'm having road rage? Uh, let's see. The former headquarters of Playboy Entertainment on Sunset Boulevard. So what does it say? It was uh, Sunset at 8560? Is that it? Anyway. Um, this is your life, Bob Linden, the Playboy building on Sunset. That's where I went to the KISS Broadcasting Workshop, K-I-I-S, Los Angeles. And uh, that was uh, instrumental in leading to my broadcasting career that brings me here to you right now. Yeah, so I was in the first class at the KISS Broadcasting Workshop uh, for $1,500. Uh, they would allow us to be on air from midnight to six o'clock. Uh, one of the teachers there was uh, Ken Ken Griffin. Uh, what we learned from Ken was do not go on air unless you do shots of scotch prior to that. Uh, that was his broadcasting lesson. If you're going to go on air, you got to be drinking scotch. And uh, so those are uh, words of wisdom, which I, uh, of course, uh, uh, live by even today right so no only kidding um only serious so uh at a certain point uh ken was fired <laughs> maybe we were drinking too much scotch it seemed like uh, you know i got a good grade because i kept going to the liquor store for ken and then he was fired and then keith lowe was hired um as uh, he, he was doing mornings on k-love Keith Lowe was hired as an instructor there, and he and I became good friends, and I eventually hired him um, at a number of radio stations when I was program director. Let's see, where did I hire Keith? Uh, I brought him to Jazzy 100 in Washington, D.C. Um, I think he was with me in Seattle also at The Sound. So... Uh, this is this is your life, Bob Linden, um, and I am starting a music radio station. Uh, it's kind of a long radio career, huh? Um, online music radio station, Radio Bobby. I'm hoping that it's coming on this Friday. I'm hoping that it's going to be on for Memorial Day weekend. So... Um, so that you can spend some time with it and uh, get into the music and uh, enjoy a radio station that doesn't play commercials for products uh, for meat, dairy, fish, eggs, leather, feathers, wool, silk, fur. Um, hopefully you're going to like the music too. So that would be coming up. This is my long, illustrious radio career. Um going back to the KISS Broadcasting Workshop. Then I drove up the 101. I passed Santa Maria. That was my first full-time radio job in Santa Maria at KXFM. Um, they hired me to do mornings. I had to do a talk show every morning and then did music on air. And uh, eventually the owner of the station liked what I was doing with the music. So he said, can you, uh, can you make the rest of the station sound like your show so i created and designed the music format and it 
it went over really well in Santa Maria. And then I got hired in Omaha based on what I was doing in Santa Maria. And, uh, and on and on we went. Uh, I was uh, very fortunate to have a career where, what did I have to do? I had to listen to music and decide uh, what was really good and then play it for people, which basically that's all I did in college on Friday night. The party was at my house. Well, not just my house. Uh, my roommate Jay always was upset that it was just called Bobby's house. So it was uh, uh, Jay and Bobby's house uh, every Friday night. Uh, everyone would come over. I'd pick out the music to play. We'd have a good time. I would cook. Uh, I would cook chicken with uh, an apricot glaze. And uh, one Friday night, I looked down at the chicken, saw the body parts, and said, "Hmm, we're eating someone here." And, this uh, looks like some, it, 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 you know, that one night it wasn't the round, uh, nondescript uh, food. It was leg, thigh, like body parts. And I thought, wow, this, this bird didn't, I don't believe the bird actually volunteered to, you know, jump into the frying pan saying, I know it's my purpose to be eaten. That's why I was born. So I looked down at the frying pan. I saw the body and I said, uh, I don't think I can eat animals anymore. So um, that was uh, that was way back 1971, and uh, you know, on and on we go with uh, going vegan, animal rights, uh, being at radio stations, KXFM, Santa Maria. Um, so then to um, to Omaha and just you know really all over the place in terms of a radio career, WQCD New York, CD 101, um, and, uh, well, name the city, Miami, Love 94, Atlanta, 94Q, uh, Las Vegas, KKLZ, starting to sound like I couldn't hold the job, right? Well, it's kind of normal in radio. Um, I looked me up, I Googled me, I found the archives of Radio and Records, uh, which was the industry newspaper, and I see uh, about 103 references to me there in the archives, including some of the articles where, you know, I was hired to be program director at WQCD, and then I was fired at WQCD, all sorts of things. But uh, that was because I was spoiled. I was, I was, you know, initially I had creative control, and that's what I needed. Uh, to make radio stations work. And in radio, uh, there's a disease called uh, consultants, um, as we we used to refer to them and say that uh, a consultant is somebody who borrows your watch to tell you the time and then forgets to give you back your watch. So uh, I had uh, some amazing clashes with consultants in the industry, uh, and as a result, sometimes quit the job, sometimes got fired. It's interesting. I just saw recently in Inside Radio a picture of Dwight Douglas, one of the uh, one of the evil consultants. The people there was a consultancy called Burkhart Abrams Michaels Douglas, and I believe it ruined rock music uh, single handedly. 
And uh, I was doing a rock station in Omaha and management, you know, management likes to protect itself by hiring consultants. It's one thing to, you know, hire Bobby, um, you know, and say, oh, well, here's Bobby. We trust his taste in music. But it's another thing to, uh, to hire uh, corporate consultants, you know, who can always rationalize and say, oh, look, research says we, we should have done this, you know, so uh and me, I'm just listening to the music saying, hey, this sounds great. Let's play it. And in fact, in Washington, D.C., when the station was bought there, the president of Colfax Communications, who was buying the station, said to me, now, let me get this right. You add music by listening to it, you know, which is uh, it's unheard of. Um, so Radio Bobby will be a little different from your regular corporate radio. So and also I see. Dwight Douglas retiring from radio just as I'm starting up something new just because I'm I'm a kid at my age and uh, he was completely unrecognizable in his picture because well let's see when were we uh, at each other's throats this was back around 1980 or so so um, I hadn't seen him since 1980 and apparently we are both unrecognizable from <laughs> from that time <laughs> few changes along the way as i see the pictures of myself in radio and records so anyway but uh so what you're going to be getting uh at radio bobby is the music experience of a lifetime i mean i've been listening to music and making music decisions since uh what was i kxfm that was what around 1977 so um so we'll be trying to do something a little different or a lot different. I hope you're going to like it. You'll be going to radiobobby.com. We just did make our first payments for music licensing fees, music publishing fees that go to places like ASCAP and BMI and Sound Exchange and CSAC. And so we made those payments. Uh, uh, actually, thanks. Uh, Thanks to the generosity and support of Vegetarian House uh, in San Jose at 520 Santa Clara Street, uh, which has been supporting the show for years. And also thanks to Evolution, Evolution Vegan Dog and Cat Food and Eric Weissman um, helping us uh, get it together to, to make those first payments for uh, the music publishing fees, which actually will be a monthly payment. I have to come up to uh, come up with money every month for, uh, for for playing the music, and this compensates the artists, though. So they'll be getting their, uh, you know, their. We're not just going to be uh, mooching off the artists. We will we will be paying the artists for their uh, creativity. Uh, so, again, thanks to Evolution, dog and cat food. By the way, you can call Evolution at 800-659-0104. 800-659-0104. Um, you get 25% off your first order of dry food. And then, um, let's see, there's 20% off the first Wednesday. If you order on the first Wednesday of the month, 20% off dry food, 10% off canned food. So mark your calendar for the first Wednesday. That's when you should be calling 800-659-0104. And uh, there are new flavors. 
Uh, tell the dogs and cats that uh, now gourmet pasta and gourmet fondue are available. Um, there's also uh, Maximum Life, which is uh, gluten-free, grain-free, hypoallergenic, uh, especially uh, designed for urinary tract health. And uh, there is documentation of dogs living up to 21 plus years and cats living to 22 plus years eating evolution. So uh, there you go. Um, if you are having financial troubles, uh, call evolution anyway. And, you know, Eric will help you out and make sure uh, we don't want uh, our family members uh, hungry. Uh, dogs and cats included. So uh, Eric will work with you on that if uh, you are having financial challenges. And again, that number is 800-659-0104. You can also talk to him about special formulations uh, designed for uh, addressing health issues uh, that your uh, dog or cat may be experiencing. So, oh, and so when I went to Los Angeles... Let's see, what time is it? Oh, Professor Francione in about 15 minutes. Okay, so when I went to Los Angeles, I also went to, uh, you know, Crossro Crossroads Restaurant on Melrose. You know, it's near Beverly Hills, the hoity-toity area around there. And uh, a friend said that I, I have to try the burger. So I had never been to Crossroads. And... Uh, So, you know, fantastic atmosphere. I mean, beautiful place. People were, you know, it was packed, loud, lots of talk, really liked it. Um, I don't know if I was thrilled with the attitude of the service person. Uh, but anyway, did I just say that? Yeah, I guess I did. So I uh, said, uh, well, a friend said, I, I have to have the burger. So, you know, it's highly recommended. So, okay, have the burger. And then I said, is there something else that, um, you know, it's my first time here. I'm a vegan talk show host, you know, anything else I should try that I might want to talk about on air? He was absolutely not impressed that I'm a vegan sh talk show host coming to this vegan restaurant. Gee you believe that? And uh, probably because, you know, the place is full of, oh, yeah, you're a vegan talk show host. Yeah, we had we had an Academy Award winner here 10 minutes ago. Who cares? Try the uh, kale uh, Caesar salad. So I said, uh, you know, actually, I've been having, I've been having a lot of Caesar dressing lately. I really like to follow your heart. Uh, Caesar salad dressing and uh, Dea has has one. So I've been having Caesar. Uh, what about something else? Is there anything, you know, really special? Like uh, anything you'd recommend? And so he said, well, have the Vichyssoise. Vichyssoise. So I'm looking at the... <laughs> should, I, should I do this before the show? Or... Uh, but I just said that so that Google would hear me. And so uh, so Google says, uh, Vichyssoise is a thick soup made of, uh, 
what is it? It says boiled and uh, purified leeks, onions, potatoes, cream, and chicken stock. Uh, it is traditionally served cold, but it can be eaten hot. Okay, so uh, I guess the traditional vichyssoise would have cream and chicken stock. I'm at a vegan restaurant, so uh, I got the, the vegan vichyssoise, which was cold. I'm not, uh, you know, I've had, I've had lots of instances where I've had to deal with uh, restaurants. You know, I go to a restaurant, and they, you know, I get the gazpacho, and that's cold, you know. So I'm used to sending cold soup back to, to be, you know, heated up. So, hey, this gazpacho is cold here. What's going on with this restaurant? No, I know it's supposed to be cold. Okay, I know. And I, I like cold gazpacho. And this may have been the first time I had um, vichyssoise. I didn't like it. It was like kind of boring and salty. Boring, salty, boring, salty. Um, and then the burger came and the French fries were uh, salty. <laughs> like salty, salty. And then the burger, you know, the burger tasted good. You know, I had no complaint with the burger. And uh, then, you know, my thinking was that uh, the burger at a place like Crossroads, I mean, you know, that's Chef Tull there, the chef who uh, fed the vegan food to Oprah. Although maybe if I did some cooking for Oprah, she'd still be vegan. She wouldn't be getting Vichyssoise, but would she get a vegetable soup from me? That uh, she would love either cold or hot. But uh, anyway, so would would you not think that you go to a major restaurant, you know, kind of now the iconic happening place, um, that uh, you would think that, that the burger would be something made especially by the house. You know, it would be like made there, not not what's called uh, the uh, impossible burger, you know, something that's produced elsewhere. Um, I didn't realize that, you know, just, so I had the impossible burger and, and then um, actually when I went up to uh vegetarian house on Sunday night and I mentioned to Sonny that I think, that vegetarian house really has the best vegan burger that I've that I've had, the Jolly Burger. And I mentioned, you know, okay, a friend says, suggested that I have the impossible, that I have the burger at Crossroads. And Sonny said to me, well, you know, it's a genetically modified burger. And I certainly was not aware of that. And I thought, well, I didn't, you know, I, I don't know much about the impossible foods let me just look things up here so um so i went to the impossible foods website and what is impossible foods these are the faqs okay so it says founded by patrick o'brown md phd impossible foods is a silicon valley startup on a mission to make the global food system more sustainable the fast-growing team includes scientists, engineers, chefs, farmers, and foodies. Uh, the first product is the Impossible Burger. It tastes great, 
and you can feel great about it because the Impossible Burger is made entirely from plants. Okay. So that's the description there. Um, and I'm wondering, with all this research that they're doing, um, why didn't they all just go over to Vegetarian House? They're in Silicon Valley already, right? So I uh, guess, guess we wouldn't have so many salaries for the scientists. Hey, Vegetarian House, your, your vegan organic burger is delicious. Why don't we market this? <laughs> why doesn't Crossroads sell this? Organic, delicious. So under uh, FAQs on Impossible Foods, how did the company get started? It says, quote, we started in 2011 with a simple question. Why does meat taste like meat? We spent the next five years researching every aspect of the unique sensory experience of meat, from how it looks raw to how it sizzles and what happens when we sink our teeth into a burger. Then we recreated the precise flavors, textures, aromas, and nutrition of ground beef using only plants. By understanding meat at the molecular level, we made a juicy burger that's delicious yet nutritious. And yeah, I mean, it, it tasted good. And there was a slice of almond cheese on it at Crossroads. So uh, tasted good. It says here, uh, why do you make only ground beef? Our first product to hit the market is the Impossible Burger. But we're not stopping there. We are already developing other types of meat and dairy. Our team of scientists and food researchers can make chicken, pork, fish, or yogurt entirely from plants. We will bring other products to market according to regional food preferences and customer demand worldwide. The Impossible Burger is only the beginning. What exactly is it made of? The Impossible Burger is made from simple ingredients found in nature, including wheat, coconut oil, and potatoes. We add one more special ingredient called Heme, H-E-M-E. Heme contributes to the characteristic color and taste of meat, and it catalyzes all the other flavors when meat is cooked. Heme is exceptionally abundant in animal muscle, and it's a basic building block um, of life in all organisms, including plants, we discovered how to take heme from plants and produce it using fermentation, similar to the method that has been used to make Belgian beer for nearly a thousand years. Um, adding heme to the Impossible Burger makes it a carnivore's delight. And uh, again, I might point out that any human who thinks that he or she is a carnivore is uh, mistaken. He or she is an herbivore, uh, mistaking him or herself for a carnivore. So the full ingredient list here is water, textured wheat protein, coconut oil, potato protein, natural flavors, 2% or less of... Uh, so it says... 
leghemoglobin, leghemoglobin, uh, parentheses soy. So heme, of course, is like hemoglobin in blood, right? So, uh, so it has uh, leg hemoglobin, soy, yeast extract, salt, soy protein isolate, uh, konjac gum, xanthium gum, thiamine, vitamin B1, zinc, niacin, vitamin B6, riboflavin, vitamin B2, vitamin B12. So, uh, it says contains soy and wheat. And then uh, the question, do you produce heme by genetic modification? The answer, yes. We genetically engineer yeast to make a key ingredient, heme. The process allows us to produce the impossible burger at scale with the lowest achievable environmental impact. We start with the gene for a protein called leghemoglobin, a heme protein that is naturally found in the root nodules of soy plants. Leghemoglobin is similar to uh, myoglobin, the heme protein that is exceptionally abundant in animal muscles. Um binds oxygen and gives meat its unique flavor and aroma as well as its red or pink color. We add the soy leghemoglobin gene to a yeast strain and grow the yeast via fermentation. Then we isolate the leghemoglobin or heme from the yeast. We add heme to the Impossible Burger to give it the intense meaty flavor, aroma, and cooking properties of animal meat. By producing our heme in yeast, we avoid digging up soy plants to harvest uh, the, the root nodules, which would promote erosion and release carbon stored in the soil. This enables us to produce heme sustainably at high volume and make plant-based meat for millions of people, offsetting the environmental impact of animal agriculture. Uh, let's see. Besides the, besides the yeast used to make heme, do, uh, you use other genetically modified crops? It says, no, uh, we currently buy soy, wheat, and potatoes from certified non-GMO sources. Um, is it vegan, gluten-free? says Impossible Burgers are 100% vegan. They include wheat protein, which means they contain gluten. And, okay, then it talks about where uh, the Impossible Burger is available. So, I don't know. What do you think? Huh? There, uh, here it is. It's the Impossible Burger. And the question is, we're against GMOs, aren't we? What, what do we think about this one, huh? Uh, so we have genetic, genetically modified crops in the, in the Impossible Burger. I mean, there's the question on the FAQ page. Do you produce heme by genetic modification? The answer is yes.
So what, then, do we feel about uh, about the Impossible Burger? I think that there was some money. Uh, it wasn't Bill Gates involved with this. Um, anyway, so that's uh, that's the story here on the Impossible Burger. I have a tendency to want to avoid genetically engineered foods myself. Um, is this any exception to the rule? I mean, is it? Probably not for me. I I don't think I'm going to go back for that one. Okay, so um, where are we? Where are we? I'm looking at... Yeah, let me see uh, how much time there is before Professor Francione. If I can just get to... One more subject here first. Let me check the time. And, uh, no. Okay. Well, actually, maybe I, after I talk to Gary, I want to talk to talk to you about, you know, it is Memorial Day weekend coming up. And uh, it seems to be the start of the grilling season. And I want to talk to you about, you know, all the grilling with none of the killing. I also want to talk to you about the five worst foods to grill. Um, I think uh, maybe maybe we need to be grilling vegan burgers and vegetables this Memorial Day weekend as we listen to the debut of Radio Bobby at RadioBobby.com. But, uh, yeah, it is, of course, the start of the you know, the summer season and, and grilling. And uh, when you grill, you know, there are some, some compounds that are formed that are carcinogenic. I'll talk to you about that in a little bit. Coming up next, we'll hear from Professor Gary Francione with his weekly commentary. Uh, please do support our program with a tax-deductible donation. We have this going on. We have Radio Bobby coming on line on online on air uh, you know we have we have events to do we have lots to do we are the vegan movement uh, remember all those other groups they're involved with promoting cage-free eggs and lab meat and uh, you know, actually products of animal agriculture so if you want to support the vegan movement you can donate there's a donate button at goveganradio.com you can also become a subscriber via patreon uh, for as little as a dollar a month or a dollar an episode and you can link to that at goveganradio.com We continue on Go Vegan Radio with Bob Linden at GoVeganRadio.com, on Twitter at GoVeganRadio, and Facebook, Go Vegan Radio with Bob Linden. And we are joined, uh, as we are every week, by Professor Gary Francione of Rutgers University for animal rights commentary. Um, he is the first academic to teach animal rights theory in an American law school, and uh, he would like you to visit 
his website, his website, and Anna Charlton's website, HowDoIGoVegan.com. So uh, how are you tonight, Professor Francione? I am just fine, Bob. I am just fine. And how are you? Doing doing great. I'm, I'm glad I survived my ordeal of... Uh, traveling to LA. Um, oh, I, I, I mentioned earlier that, that I had this problem with the, the car. I had a rental car, a brand new Chevrolet Malibu. I'm driving back. I'm just passing San Jose. I had just gone to the fabulous vegetarian house, vegan restaurant um, and uh, in San Jose and had its wonderful Jolly Burger. Um uh, which I think is one of the best vegan burgers available anywhere. And so half hour, you know, up the freeway there, I'm, I'm in the left lane. I don't know, you know, vegan talk show host in the left lane, hard to, hard to imagine. Um, and then the power just gave out on the car. Like the, the light came on on the engine and I couldn't accelerate and it was decelerating and losing power. And, uh, so I had to maneuver across, I don't know, three or four lanes, and I made it to, to the next exit. And so when the tow truck driver came, he said, uh, you know, I mentioned what happened, and he said, oh, so that's, uh, so, so you had, uh, it, it went into limp mode. And I said, well, what do you mean, you know, limp mode? He said, well, the tow truck drivers have been talking about this phenomenon lately that, uh, cars that are highly computerized wind up losing power and they just have enough energy to kind of limp off the road, you know? So um, I thought I, I, I have to be like Ralph Nader or something and mention this. Like who does anybody know about this? Is this something real? But you know, if the tow truck driver is mentioning that to me, um, I think, uh, obviously, obviously you weren't the first person to whom this happened. Um, right, right. So yeah, that, that was it. It was like, I didn't even have to finish, uh, talking about the symptoms. He finished it for me. And then I thought, well, this is like a public danger, isn't it? Like we can't have cars just stalling out, going into limp mode or something, you know, all over the place. So, um, so I did want to mention to people who might in the future be, you know, renting a car and looking at a Chevrolet, you know, that this happened to me, I don't, you know, and, you know, GM is the kind of company that won't spend a dollar and a half on a car to save lives. It, you know, had its problems with a car ignition switch that actually you know, ca caused uh, many deaths. So I don't trust, I, you know, I'm, I'm trusting my life with the corporation at high speed and it goes into limp mode and on the computer screen it says uh engine is uh something something to the effect of engine operating at uh limited power or something well i knew that from driving it you know so i don't know if this is a you know public safety issue that nobody knows and here i am i have to be ralph nader with the corvair you know sequel or something so i don't know um, well so 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 the the car when the car didn't stall it just it continued to go but I don't understand how did you get off how did you get to the exit it, it continued at reduced power so I couldn't I couldn't accelerate it was decelerating it was going slower and slower 
So I just, I had to get over to the right lane and then it was, it, it kept slowing down. So I was uh, going to either pull to the right shoulder or make it to the next uh, exit. And I thought, well, let's see if we make it to the next exit. So I did. My phone was running out of battery power. You know, it's just one of those like survival situations of the 21st century. And it's like, uh, what a wimp, you know, <laughs> it's like, suddenly the cell phone goes in the car, you know, uh, uh, the car goes in the middle of nowhere. What do you do? Well, luckily I still had chow mein, you know, I had, I, I took out chow mein from vegetarian house and I did have cans of evolution dog food for Daisy. And then, you know, then we just waited for the tow truck and then everything else got messed up from where we supposed to go and get another car. So I had to stay, I found a Motel 6 nearby, and we had to stay overnight and uh, got back. Uh, you know, it was like a, a bit of an ordeal. And then, you know, I mention it, and then I think, you know, any refugee in, in Syria or or Libya would trade places with me in a second to uh, to have uh, problems like that. Oh, my my Chevy Malibu stalled, you know. But but I, I, I do think that it puts others at risk if this is, you know, a symptom that's that's out there. And, you know, who who trusts uh, who tr who can tr you know, whose computer doesn't, you know, go on the blink quite often, you know. And then then a friend of mine said, well, you know, now they can control your car externally and hack into it. So maybe it was the cattle industry, you know, trying to. Uh, drive you off the road or something so anyway well you know the thing <laughs> is is that it's interesting how given that everything now is very is, is all computerized it's it's remarkable that things continue to function as well as they do given um the the, the potential problems that uh, right. mm -hmm. you know so in a sense maybe think maybe, maybe it's all better than we think it is who knows but you know <laughs> i i, I don't know <laughs> I wanted to tell you, Bob, that um, I, I am really um, optimistic. Um, I've spent quite a bit of time this past week giving um, some talks to, uh, to groups, um, not animal people, but, but, but basically public groups in different contexts. And um, I think the interest in veganism is... Uh, at a level, I, I don't really ever remember it. Uh, people really are interested in it. And as long as you're not dealing with animal people, so you don't <laughs> have the the problem of, of, you know, well, why are you promoting veganism when Meatless Monday is a wonderful thing? Or why are you promoting veganism when you really should be promoting incremental changes because that, you know, people aren't going to go vegan overnight and all of the stuff that we hear from animal people. I, if you, I just think it is remarkable how, um, how, how interested many people in the public are. And if you're not dealing with animal people, you're actually having, uh, at least I'm having, terrific experiences. And the level of interest is remarkable. Now, I don't know if you're finding that or, you know, what I you're do. I, I do find that all the time. And I, I love to talk to people who, uh, uh, as you say, are, are not animal people. I, I love talking to 
non-animal people about this. I mean, just yesterday, another animal person friend uh, was all excited uh, about Memphis meats, you know, which is another of those uh, lab meats. And, uh, you know, and and uh, I, you know, talked about how I was not excited about lab meats and pr promoting meat. And I think I offended him. I don't know. You know, it's like, uh, what do you mean you're not into uh, promoting lab meat. Well, it is meat. It's animal meat. <laughs> it's animal meat right. uh, fed right. by bovine fetal uh, bo bovine fetal solution. And he said, "Oh, they're working on that." You know, yeah, well, they're working on that. You know, it's yeah, they're all working on that. You know, so work work on having people go vegan, not going to a website where it's all we love meat. I, I just don't see. I, I just don't think that people interested in animal advocacy should ever be promoting meat as positive you know we love meat we love meat and we're not going to stop eating it you know it's like you know kind of not the right message i don't think as long as you're promoting the idea that it's a good that you know i mean if you're promoting any sort of meat eating um even if it's the slab meat which involves animals um you know, you're not getting away from the idea, which you really need to get away from, that animals aren't food, and we simply don't need to eat them. And, I mean, this is, this is something that I think a lot of animal people just don't get, that they don't get the idea that we really need to get away from the idea of animals as food. And so promoting lab meat or promoting, you know, promoting anything, um, you know, they, because, I mean, I think part of the problem is, the animal movement, as a general matter, distinguishes between factory-farmed animals and everything else. So the, the, the real culprit, then the, 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 the target is factory-farmed um, meat and animal products. I can't stand that term, factory-farmed. I just can't stand it. I agree. It. But, 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 I mean, this is, this is how the modern movement conceptualizes it. So if you're talking about anything other than factory farm meat, then people tend to get, you know, they tend to be more, uh, 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 you know, they promote it, they're more tolerant of it. Um, and and um, so if it's lab meat or backyard chickens or whatever, um, you know, eggs from backyard chickens, all of a sudden that becomes very different. And my view is, like, no, no, you know, obviously that's different from the sorts of things that we get from from factory farms, but it's still immoral. And we ought to really get away from this idea that we need to be eating animal products at all. As a matter of fact, I was having a discussion today with someone um, who was asking about, well, you know, what happens if, if you know, what's, what, what's wrong with an egg from uh, a pet hen? And, you know, the answer is, well, how did the hen get there? Um, you know, the, you know is, is, did you buy the hen? Was the hen rescued? Even if the hen was rescued, if you're eating eggs, um, unfertilized eggs are things that the hens themselves will eat because hens now are are producing. Uh, you know, they're 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 not. They produce many more eggs. Um, they've been bred to produce many more eggs than they would normally pr produce, and the production of an egg really robs them, depletes them of a lot of minerals, and so they would eat those unfertilized eggs in many cases. So when we eat them, we're taking them away from them, but. When we eat an egg from any source, we're reinforcing the idea to other people that eggs are things to eat, and this is what we've got to get away from. An egg is not a thing to eat. 
It may be a thing for a chicken to eat, but it's not a thing for us to eat, however it's produced. But, you know, that's, those are the arguments you have with animal people, because animal people divide the world into factory farms and everything else, and if it's not conventional, if it's not conventionally produced, then they tend to be more tolerant of it, and indeed they often promote it. But when I'm talking... And, and you mentioned how, how, the, how the chicken got there. I mean, there are the hatcheries, they're, they're being shipped. I mean, you know, there's, uh, there's normally a miserable background there, you know, to, 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 be, to becoming the rescued hen or the, the pet hen yeah. whose uh, right. egg it's okay there's to always, eat, right? There's always, there's always a miserable background there. And, you know, look, I think people should, should adopt and give, give good homes to, um, you know, chickens and other farm animals who are rescued. I think that's a great thing to do. But I don't think that um, it's, it, it's a good thing to eat products that are produced from such animals because we reinforce the idea. We reinforce the idea again that animal products are things to eat, and that's what we've got to get away from. Animal products are not things to eat. And, and so it's, what's really interesting to me is non, non-animal people, when I'm talking to normal members of the general public, they get it. They really get it. They don't, you know, they, they, they don't have a hard time understanding that, you know, if animals matter, we ought not to be eating them or eating their products. And, you know, they understand that, that, you know, obviously if there's less suffering involved, that's better than if there's more suffering involved. But they also understand the idea that, to, that, that if it's wrong to consume animals and animal products, that we ought not to be promoting the consumption of any animal products. I mean, it's amazing how people get this. And I'm not saying that everybody I talk to go ve- goes vegan. They don't. But people understand why veganism is a moral imperative and you get them thinking because for many people they've never ever thought about these ideas before they've never really considered um you know the 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 idea that it's wrong to consume animal products and so you're now provoking them and stimulating them into thinking about something they've never thought of before and i'm just i'm i'm just absolutely uh, as happy as I could be, given the, with the reactions that I'm getting from people, because it's very clear that a lot of people are interested in this. They're interested in veganism. They want to learn. They want to understand things. Uh, they want to learn. You know, they want to learn about the health aspects of it. Because, as you know, um, many people are not vegans because they are because there's still a real residual belief that animal products are necessary for optimal health. And, and, you know, and so when you talk to them about, you know, the, 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 the nutritional aspects, the health aspects, you know, they're really interested to learn. And I, I think, you know, what I find very sad is that when I see the sorts of reactions that, that uh, that I get, and I'm just one person without an organization, and you know, w- w- without a staff of people, and I go out there and I do my thing, and I I you know give my lectures and my talks and discuss things with people. I see the sorts of reactions I get, and it makes me sad because I realize if we had a movement of people who were really promoting veganism and promoting it as a as a moral imperative, as a moral rule, as something that we ought to do. I think it would just, you know, the react. We we could really change the world, and you know, we are going to change the world. It's just 
We have to do it a little bit more slowly because animal people are getting in the way. Animal people are the obstacle. Animal people are out there telling people they can continue to consume with compassion. And that's the problem in a lot of ways, you know, is that, is that we have to not only deal with the fact that, you know, we have had thousands and thousands and thousands of years of speciesism, but that we've got an animal movement that actually promotes animal exploitation. And that's a serious problem. And but, big money, big money, uh, you know, being infused into it. So, uh, sure. I mean, ab- ab- absolutely. But, but it is really interesting to see how people respond to the message and how interested they are and how engaged they are with it. And, and you know, how, how and, you know, I, I find, you know, this, this idea that I, this, 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 this nonsense I get from animal people, that people are going to be insulted if you tell them that, you know, it's, Either animal exploitation, either you're vegan or you're an animal, you know, you're engaging in animal exploitation. People are getting offended by that, get offended by that. I say that all the time. And the only people who get offended by it are the animal people who are promoting animal welfare. Um, the, the people I'm talking to who are not part of animal groups and not involved in the animal movement, they don't get upset with it at all. They understand it quite clearly. You know, you know that you, when you explain to them, look, if animals are not things, and if they have moral value, then we cannot eat them, wear them, or use them in situations in which there's absolutely no compulsion whatsoever. There's no reason to be doing it. We're just engaging in the gratuitous infliction of pain, suffering, and death. People understand that. It's not a hard idea to understand. It's only a difficult idea if you're involved in the animal movement and you're trying to get people to engage in compassionate exploitation. And so, you know, or, or, or encouraging people to engage in compassionate exploitation. And, you know, an idea I've discussed on, on your show before, but that bears repeating a million and a half times is, you know, animal, peop- animal people all assume that, you know, they, they take the position that less suffering is better than more suffering. And everybody agrees with that. Everybody in the world agrees with that. I agree with that. The difference is I don't think we ought to be encouraging people to engage in the supposedly less harmful exploitation as that that it's a good thing morally. I mean yes, if you're going to if you're going to kill somebody, Bob, then it is better that you kill the person more quickly rather than torturing the person. That's clear. Less suffering is better than more suffering. But I would never encourage you as a moral matter, to go out and engage in, you know, non-torturous killing of people. I wouldn't say, Bob, you know, less suffering is better than more suffering, so go and kill people, but kill them as painlessly as you can. You know, uh, if you're going to rape somebody, uh, it's better that you don't also beat the person or, you know, uh, 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 you know otherwise, and otherwise harm the person in addition to the battery of rape. But I would never. And, and and when it comes to animals, less suffering is in the eye of the beholder to some degree. I mean, it it looks terrible when I mean baby baby pigs are killed by slamming their heads to the floor. Um, so it seems like that looks so terrible to us that you know we we want to develop other ways of killing baby pigs. You know, which like to us might look better, but might not be as uh, efficient you know but it looks better it's a it, it might be to the, to the chickens 
might be better to be in a battery cage with uh, six or eight other birds than to be in a shed with 40,000 other birds. You know, yeah. I mean, uh, you know, it's just what seems to look better to us seems to be what, what we want. And yeah. yet, you know, we uh, don't I mean, know how it's perceived by the, the birds who are 100% miserable all the time anyway, or the yeah, pigs. I agree. I agree. And I also, I mean, I agree with you. I think that, you know, I, I'm, ju I'm, I'm just making, I'm making a general point that even if there is less suffering, and I agree with you that in many cases, it's not clear that there is less suffering. And, and we don't, we don't even know what that is. You know what I mean? So even if there is, but we don't even necessarily know what it is or can tell what it is when we see it, you know? So. And so, so I agree with you. And, and so, you know, it's not even clear that it's less suffering, but, even if it is less suffering, let's give them the strongest possible argument that we can, that certain welfare measures result in less suffering. Is that, does that mean that we ought to affirmatively promote those forms of exploitation because they involve less suffering? And, you know, again, this is something I can talk about this with animal people until I'm blue in the face and they don't get it. But yet, when I'm having discussions with people in the public, when I'm giving a, a, a talk in a, in a, in a non-animal form, whether it's at a, a, a school or a college or a civic center, you know, a, a local, uh, you know, a local um, community center or something, because I do quite a bit of that. And, and, um, and what I find is people understand that immediately. And they say, yeah, you know, I can understand that. You know, I, when, when, when you say to somebody, you would never, you know, yes, it's better if you're going to do something horrible to somebody. It's better to do it less horribly than more horribly. But that doesn't mean that it's okay to, that you should encourage people to do the less horribly violent act. Mm -hmm. You should encourage them to do no violence, you know. And so I, I think that, you know, it, it's, what's really remarkable is ideas that are actually fairly straightforward and understandable by most people become completely not understandable when you're talking to animal people. They just well, don't. Well, we, we, we are confused by uh, supposed leadership. That's, that's for sure. That's, you know, a confusing message from those who have appointed themselves as uh, leaders of this movement. And, uh, oh, by the way, did you ever... Um, follow up or look at you know speaking of confusing leadership uh we talked about smaller cages for dogs um last week uh, hsus uh creating legislation for in support of smaller cages for dogs um in vermont did you ever follow up or I, look I at that at, at all or i i actually looked at it a little bit i confess that i i didn't follow through because i got uh distracted by eighteen thousand other things but yes there, there, that's a, that's an example of, you know, of 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 taking the position that um, the more generous space requirements are not um, enforceable, and so that we have to have enforceable uh, regulations, and that entails that we have smaller cages. Um, I I looked in, I started looking into it, and I, I was. My confusion was not relieved in the sense that I cannot understand why the larger cage situation can't also be enforceable. That's not clear to me. But again, maybe it's the because uh, you know the smaller cages conform with uh, 
what is it, USDA standards or something. So if they conform with horrible standards, uh, they're easier to enforce than uh, relaxation of those horrible standards. I mean, it doesn't make sense to me either. And uh, it would have been nice if somebody would have suggested just what you're saying when when they were coming up with with this legislation uh, that HSUS uh, participated in uh, crafting. Again, the the partnerships between these large organizations and institutional exploiters is is clear. It's always been there, um, and and um, you know, and and so in many ways, it doesn't really surprise me. Um, you know, it doesn't really surprise me at all. The animal movement has been um, has supported institutional exploitation in all sorts of ways over the years. I mean, I remember, I remember um, in the 1980s. Um, over my objection, which um, you'll be surprised to know, um, they, they were being my objections were being ignored back then as well. But um, there was a there was a controversy in the movement about whether animal people should support the 1985 amendments to the Animal Welfare Act, and the 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 big uh, selling point of the amendments was that. The government was was proposing in these regulations to create animal care committees, and that this was going to be a real step forward because this and, and, and the animal care committees had to have a community member that who was concerned about the welfare of animals, and and this was going to be the equivalent of the institutional review board for human experimentation. That there were going to be review boards, and it was going to be this was going to be the analog of the human review board. Now, of course, that's nonsense because um, human experimentation requires informed consent, which animals can't give, number one. And number two, when you're talking about lab animals, you're not talking about individuals who are giving their informed consent. You're talking about individuals who are brought into existence for the sole purpose of using as laboratory tools. Um, And so to talk about, you know, an animal care committee that reviews the research and approves the research in a way which is similar to the Institutional Review Board for Human Experimentation is simply nonsense. And, again, it was the animal community. I, I argued I, I would not support them. I thought that that was a really bad idea um, and uh, for lots of reasons. And, um, again, you know, I, I, um, I, <laughs> I was the voice crying in the wilderness because people simply were not interested in, you know, the animal movement uh, thought this was a great idea. It went along with it, and what what did that do? It basically, you know, it destroyed the ability of, before the amendments, we were getting lots of information about uh, what was going on in in laboratories, and people who were, you know, people who were involved in the experiments, graduate students, uh, people who, you know, some of the people, some, sometimes it was actually people in, who were actually doing the experiments but were very uncomfortable about it. But we were getting lots of information. After the 1985 amendments to the Animal Welfare Act, all that information dried up. Why? Because in creating the animal care committees, the government also said that if, the, you know, if anybody on the committee released any information and that had proprietary information, they could, they could incur a criminal penalty. So everybody stopped talking about what was going on in these, on the, in these experiments because they didn't want to subject themselves to possible criminal liability. 
And so it dried up. The, the information coming out of places that did animal experimentation simply dried up. Mm-hmm. And, it was a, and, and not only that, but then it allowed the research community to go to the public and say, see, it's all being regulated. We have, we have animal care committees that review everything in the same way that we have institutional review boards that review human experimentation, which is nonsense. But they were able to point to the animal groups that supported this stuff. And they were able to say, the animal people support this. Humane and, vivisection, that's a new one for me. Yeah, I mean, it was, it was, it was, and, and I remember thinking, you know, I mean, I, I should have really, I, you know, it took me another, um, actually, 10 years after that to figure out that the animal movement was so completely screwed up that it was, um, it was sort of hopeless. But, um, but you know, I, I remember, you know, talking with folks, with animal people back then and saying, but we can't support this. We can't put a stamp of approval on this. We can't, you know, we, we should not be in the business of regulating what they do to animals. You know, they, you know, it, we ought not to be cooperating with it. It's wrong to do. And, and you know, it's, we shouldn't be cooperating with them. And it was, all, it was oh, Gary, you know, we've got to take it step by step. We've got, but, again, it was the animal movement that was working with the United States Department of Agriculture and, and, and um, you know, and, and, and giving a stamp of approval to this stuff and allowing the government and allowing the, the, the community of vivisectors to say to the public, look, we've got animal care committees and we worked with the animal people, you know, and, 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 and you know, they're all happy with this. And um, I, I remember just thinking it was, it, was a, it was a terrible thing, but it, it, it effectively destroyed uh, the anti-vivisection movement. Now, in certain ways, um, you know, the anti-vivisection movement was confused to begin with because as long as people are eating animals, um, you're, I mean, the bottom line is you got to focus on eating. Eat, until, as long as people are eating them, nothing changes. Once people stop eating them, then everything changes. And, well, so, so if they're eating them, certainly they can be used to cure diseases, right? You're, well, well, I mean, I mean, you like, know, it, it's, it's, it's like I, I remember a f- uh, several years ago, um, a vivisector from UCLA called me to say that, you know, some pro-vivisection organization was paying his expenses to come out, you know, to, to debate animal people. And he wanted to come to the university and debate me about animal experimentation. And I said, sure, fine, come on. And so he flew out from L.A. He's a, he's a teacher. He's a professor at UCLA. And, um, and he flew out from L.A., and um, we, we had a, an event at Rutgers, and it was on a weekday. It was during the week he was there. And I thought, well, you know, I'd be happy if we had 100 people. We ended up having, like, 350 people. It was huge. It was, it was, the place was packed. And, um, and I started off by saying, how many of you all are vegans? And, you know, I don't know, out of 350 people, maybe six or seven or eight people raised their hands. And I said, well, this is going to be a very, very strange evening because if you all are willing to engage in imposing suffering and death on animals for no reason whatsoever other than the fact you like the taste, and you're willing to subject yourself to the health hazards of eating decomposing flesh, cow mucus, and chicken ova, you're going to get yourself ill. The question about whether or not it's okay to kill some animals to find a cure for you, it seems like a sort of ridiculous question. And, um, and, and so we ended up that evening actually talking a lot about vivisection because the other, the other point that the vivisector was making was that um, 
you know, they only used animals when it was absolutely necessary and that the animal use in research was was necessary. And I said, well, you don't, you don't take that seriously at all. You're not a vegan. So it's not necessary to eat animals. So don't tell me you take necessity seriously. If you said to me you were a vegan and you engaged in animal research because you thought it was necessary, I would, dis- I, I would, I would disagree with you that a- as to whether it is ne- necessary, number one, number two, even if it is necessary, whether it's morally justified. But you don't take it seriously that we shouldn't impose uh, we shouldn't use animals except when it's necessary because you're using them every day when it's not necessary. So it was actually a very interesting evening. Um, and did he was, respond uh, in any way to that? Like, what was his response? Did he? You know, actually, no, he didn't. Um, he just kept on saying it was different. That, um, you know, that, I mean, he was saying that, that animal use for food was different. He, as I recall, I mean, it's a couple of years ago, but as, as I recall, he said that um, you know that, that that eating animals was necessary for health or whatever, and I explained to him that he needed to sort of do some reading because he would see that in fact um, you know that was just ridiculous that it wasn't necessary. But um, uh, but you know it was it was a it was a very weird evening. But but I mean the 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 the, the bottom line is is that you know um, in the 1980s. Uh, as a historical matter, you know the 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 animal the animal rights movement in this country, uh, to the extent we had it for any period of time, and it wasn't very long. But um, you know we had in the nineteen in the nineteen late nineteen seventies, early eighties in the United States, we started talking about animal rights. Uh, in the in Britain, it was in the late sixties and in the seventies they were doing it, but it took a little longer to get over here, and. Um, and in the beginning, when we were talking about animal rights, we were focused on cases involving vivisection um, because uh, PETA was actually the group that was sort of pioneering the concept of animal rights as an organization. And they were focused on uh, vivisection cases involving vivisection. And so, um, you know, we were, we were focused on vivisection. And, you know, it was becoming clear to me as we were sort of doing these things that um, we really weren't going to make any, you know, that that, that vivisection was the wrong thing to focus on, that we needed to focus on veganism because we weren't really going to um, change anything significantly for animals by focusing on vivisection. Um, And, you know, as I I continued on in in doing the work, that became absolutely clear to me. That veganism was the was the key to under, you know the the key to the um, uh, changing things in a, in significant ways, and um, and so 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 you know uh, but 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 the bottom line was that the 1985 amendments to the Animal Welfare Act involved the animal movement working with the United States government, um, and 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 you know agreeing to and supporting. Supporting the amendment amendments to the Animal Welfare Act, which basically destroyed the innovative section movement. Now, you know, I mean, again, I'm not sure how effective that movement was anyway. So I'm not sure really what I'm not really sure what 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 the the ultimate loss was because I don't think it was a particularly effective movement in lots of ways. You know, and, and but nevertheless, <laughs> nevertheless, it was you know the 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 animal movement working with. Um, you know the the, the 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 community of animal exploiters and 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 approving their conduct 
And I, I, I just don't, I mean, I understand, I do understand, I mean, I say now quite clearly what was going on in terms of, you know, these were businesses and these were, you know, these were animal welfare businesses and they were, you know, they were growing because they were, um, you know, they were taking positions which, which could give they, them victories, uh, in a sense. Yeah, well, they right? were, you know, they they were. I mean, anybody who calls the 1985 amendments to the Animal Welfare Act a victory um, has a most peculiar understanding of victory. Um, you know, that it wasn't a victory at all. Uh, but you know, I mean, I you know, I, I as I say, I understand now what was going on. I didn't really quite understand then because um, you know it's hard to. You know, it's interesting because in the 80s and into the the early 90s, um, you know, I was working as a person in the movement. I mean, I wasn't working for money. I was I was donating my time, but uh, as a lawyer, but um, I was working in the movement um, with people, and these were my friends and my colleagues and my comrades and whatnot. And you know, you just don't really see it when you're involved in doing it. And uh, I don't know if I've ever, ever told you, um, you know, the, 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 there was, there was, there were a couple of incidents, but there was, there was one incident. Uh, well, as I said, there were several, but, but one that I remember very clearly when um, I was involved in a case in which we were challenging the branding of, there was some program, some dairy program that the government was doing, and they were identifying the cows that were in the program by branding them on the face or something. It was, it was, they were face branding them. And um, on their foreheads, they were branding the cows on their foreheads. And we brought a lawsuit to have this declared uh, illegal because it was not humane. And we were promoting the idea that they used a freeze brand or that they brand the cows on their hind quarters. And, and, and I remember being on a, we were having the argument with the judge and it was a, cause there were, there were, there were a number of lawyers involved with this. Um, and we were at different parts of the country, and I don't remember where the, the argument was, where, where the actual argument was, but we were all participating by a conference call with the permission of the court. And so I remember being on this call with a bunch of other animal lawyers from the Animal Legal Defense Fund, and we were having this argument about whether we should brand the cows on the face or on the rear end, whether it should be a hot brand or a freeze brand. And I remember sort of having this existent, this moment of existential crisis when I thought, what am I doing? Right. Uh, what am I doing? I'm actually, I'm actually arguing with the government's lawyers and arguing to a judge that we ought to be branding these animals on the on the face with a freeze brand or branding them with a hot iron on their rear ends. Um, and, and it was like one of those magical hard, moments. Hard to cheer for that victory, right? It's hard yeah, to... Exactly, exactly. And it was like sort of... And it was like... It was like I remember getting off that phone call and, and, and thinking, what have I just done? 
And and what was that about? And and is this a you know is this a good thing? But you know again you know I mean there was no debate about rights versus welfare back then. I mean that was something that that started. You know that 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 I started talking about with Tom Reagan. Tom Reagan and I basically sort of created the rights welfare di- discussion because it didn't exist. I mean, people didn't. I mean, people weren't talking about rights versus welfare. You know, they they animal rights was a very amorphous concept. It was something that had just. Um, you know, we we were using the language of animal rights. We somehow thought we were different from HSUS and these other organizations, but we weren't quite sure why or how. And it was all very amorphous and very you know. But 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 you know, it, it, it that was that was you know like one of those times when I was having that argument on that on the branding situation. I remember thinking, you know, is this what animal rights is? Animal rights is. Is saying that we ought to freeze brand the 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 cows on the face, or if we're going to use a hot brand, we shouldn't use the hot brand on the cow's face, but only on the cow's rear end. That's what animal rights is about. Yes. And then I was trying to figure out, well, how is this different from the stuff that the welfareists of the 1950s were doing? People like Christine Stevens at the Animal Welfare Institute, and I knew Christine very well. I liked Christine a lot. I disagreed with her, but I was then wondering, well, but if I'm doing this, how am I any different from you know the, the people like Christine, and and um, and I couldn't come up with a good answer to that question. Yeah. And, you know, I, and, I had I had one of those moments of uh, what, what am I doing when um, we were arguing? They were they were um, going to separate two elephants at the L.A. Zoo, so we were uh, arguing about keeping keeping one of the elephants there, and so you know we had these big meetings and Betty White was yelling at me. She was, you know, she was on the board of the zoo or something. So, um, so it was like, no, we, we have to keep, the, we have to keep this elephant here. Um, and then afterward we went to look at the area where the elephants lived and it was just this very small little patch of concrete with a tire there. And I yeah. felt, you know, what am I, you know, I'm arguing to keep an elephant in this horrible situation. I don't know. Am I doing the right thing? You know, I mean, it just seemed like if I get what I want, this elephant's going to be miserable on the smallest possible patch of concrete with a tire there, you know, as uh, enrichment, you know? So it was like, what, what am I doing? You know, I'm not, not quite sure I'm doing the right thing here, you know? Whatever that right thing is supposed to yeah, be. No, I, I look. I I hear you. You know, it's it's like you know. I I remember in like 1985. God, uh, nineteen. You know, I mean, nineteen eighty four. I don't know. It was a long time ago, and and we were in L.A. Um, for the Action for Life conference. Now I don't know if you remember. Do you remember the Action for Life conferences? No, no. Action for Life was. They were the conferences that the farm animal reform movement used to do uh, before they did the Animal Rights National Conference. That's a fairly recent thing that they that they do. But they used to have conferences called Action for Life, and they used to do them as they do now with the national con- the the national supposed uh, animal rights conference. They used to do these things. They used to alternate coasts, so they would have it you know on the East Coast one year and the West Coast the next year. And I remember being out in L.A. And 
at the Action for Life conference, and the big issue then was pound seizure. Do you remember the pound seizure debate? Sure. Mm-hmm. Yeah, all right. And so, and I remember Cleveland Amory getting up and giving this talk about pound seizure and about how important it was to stop pound seizure and, and that, you know, they ought not to be using uh, people's pets. They ought to be using purpose-bred animals. And I remember sitting there and I, I said, you know, gee whiz, <laughs> you know, we're actually arguing um, that, that vivisectors ought to use purpose-bred animals and not, and not pound animals because pound animals are pets and purpose-bred animals aren't pets and that they ought to be using the purpose-bred animals. And, and I just, you know, again, you know, one would have thought that I would have said, you know, this is insane. What am I doing here? And why am I, why am I talking to these people? Um, but, you know, they were my colleagues. They were my comrades. We were fighting, I thought, this, the, the battle. And I really, but I really couldn't understand. And I remember saying then, gee, you know, Cleveland, I don't see it. I, I don't understand this. I mean, why are we promoting the use of purpose-bred animals? Because they're animals that are really no different from the from the pound seized animals. Well, but the pound seized you know, the animals that are seized from the pound, they are, you know, they're they're they trust humans and they've been pets and things. I said, well, so what? <laughs> you know, they're all dogs. They're all right. cats. I mean, you know, what? Difference? One could almost make the argument that they've had a happier life. So you know. <laughs> Use them instead of the ones who are miserable, born into only servitude. You know, I mean, it's, uh, I mean, it's, 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 so it's been, it's really been confused for a long time. And, 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 you know, and the animal people have been there, you know, promoting the, the, the craziness, the crazy ideas, you know, and, and, and so, you know, but, but going back to what I said before, I, I am increasingly encouraged because. I have experience after experience after experience where as long as I'm not talking to animal people, and it's the best thing, you want to get animal work done, you want to help animals, stop talking to animal people. I, I, as a matter of fact, I say this to you fairly frequently. You've got to just forget about those people because they're just nothing but impediments. Um, the best thing to do is to just talk to as many people as we can. And, and they themselves may be vegan anyway even though they're you know the animal people might are, are probably vegan already anyway even though their uh activism may not be on on behalf of veganism so so who needs them right let's let's get the people who need to go vegan exactly exactly so you know um so that that's what i think you know what i think we need to do is to sort of go and i really do believe those of us who want a vegan world need to focus our energies almost exclusively on non-animal people. We just thought that, you know, we just have to, we have to talk to regular, normal people who are not, quote, in the movement, as it were, um, and just focus on them because they're educable. They really are educable. They really do get it. And, and you know, the number of times I, t- you know, I, I mean, look, again, I'm not going to say that everybody goes vegan or everybody goes vegan immediately. That, that's simply not the case. Most of them don't go vegan immediately. But some of them do, and all of them are educated about what the moral imperative is 
And, and if they take it seriously, then they start working toward it. And, and I, you know, and, but I'm always clear with them. You can take as much time as you want because we live in a society which allows you to engage in animal exploitation, but make no mistake about it. If you agree with me that it's wrong, every bite of, of meat, every drink of milk, every bit of ice cream you eat, every egg you eat, represents your voluntary participation in what you agree is, a, is something that you don't believe is morally justifiable. And you need to think about that. And, you know, again, we live in a society where people really aren't talked to seriously. People don't, people don't talk to people seriously about moral issues anymore. You know, we really don't. I mean, it, 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 that sort of died after the Vietnam War and after that time. Um, discussions about morality um, have become uh, less and less frequent and less, part of, less a part of public discourse. The idea, with the idea being there are certain things which are illegal, but everything else is simply a matter of opinion. And I think that that's dangerous. I think, that, I think it's wrong. I also think it's dangerous. You know, morality is not a matter of opinion. Um, it's not a matter of aesthetics. Um, you know, it, well, it's, we, we may want to talk about it less and less as immorality grows more and more. Yeah, and, you know, I mean, look, we're living in a strange time where we've, ele- you know, where, where we've elevated narcissism to an art form. But having said that, um, I still think um, that, you know, there, that, 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 that people, yeah, people, humans, Humans are animals who, who really have a great capacity to do horrible things, but they also have a great capacity to do wonderful things and to, to have incredible empathy. When we saw that last night in that Manchester bombing in England, horrible thing. Um, but, you know, it, it's, it's horrible that someone would uh, go into a place uh, with a bomb with nails and bolts and stuff like that and... and you know, and, and kill 22 young people and, and maim and injure many, many more. That's a really horrible thing to do. On the other hand, you know, you see that, that you know, the cab drivers were, were transporting people for free to the hospitals and the hotels were putting people up and everybody was trying to help. And, 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 and you know, and so you see, you know, you see that, that, you know, although humans are capable of doing really horrible things, they have a great, you know, they have great empathy um, and 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 they are capable of acts of both courage and and kindness, and um, and so you know I think we need. And to then try they to... go back to their jobs at uh, building cluster bombs. Well, that, 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 that's right. No, I'm look. I'm not. I'm not uh, uh, saying that you know, that we're, uh, <laughs> we're 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 blameless in all of this. I'm I'm not saying that at all. What I'm saying is is that is that you know we are we are. Um, a, a, a complex animal, and we're capable of doing really bad stuff, but we're also capable of great kindness and great love and great empathy. And I think it's really important that we, you know, we sort of persist in the face of the overwhelming narcissism of the society, that we persist in trying to bring the, those sorts of qualities out in people because those qualities are there. And, and um, you know, it, it, they only go away if we ignore them and we don't really... Um, try to stimulate them anymore. 
And um, and well, I, I think you're being way too positive for this radio show to tell you the I, truth. Uh, look, I, understand, <laughs> I, I am, I am an optimistic. I'm a glass half full sort of guy. I, I am too. I am too. I really do. I really do believe that you know that 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 you know yeah people can be really horrible and they can do horrible things but i think a lot of people really want to do do good and you know they they may not understand what the good thing to do is because they live in a society that tries to beat it out of them as hard as it can and to keep them as confused as and as superficial as possible um and you know we have we have leaders who are um problematic in all sorts of ways but um well if uh, people are wondering about what the good thing to do is uh, it is it is going vegan if they, if they, if they have any question we didn't want to leave that question unanswered right now i mean that's uh, that is the good thing to do absolutely yeah absolutely i mean you know i mean if you take nonviolence seriously you got to do more than be a vegan but you certainly have to at least be a vegan and that it makes no sense to talk about um, nonviolence as long as you're shoveling the products of violence and death into your mouth and wearing them on your body every day of your life. And with that, I will let you take that lovely little dog out for a walk. Um, she is, uh, she is uh, talking a bit about uh, yeah, I, ma- ma- I, I, making I, our plans, making our yes, plans. Yes, uh, I was... I was picking up that she was getting a little impatient, and you know, I I, I don't want to frustrate her her in any way. So yeah. give her a big kiss for me, and I will talk with you next week. We'll do. Talk to you next week with with uh, with a little luck if it all works out. I think my online music radio station may debut um, this coming weekend, Memorial Day weekend. I'm hoping that it might even be. I'm, I'm going to put it out there maybe Friday at noon. And uh, a lot of this depends on Ben. Uh, ben is uh, traveling and there's an illness in his family. And so we're working to see what we can get together. But I've, I've paid the first uh, music licensing fees. Um, so I will be, I'll be legal and able to play music, um, we hope, as of this weekend. So we're letting people know about Radio Bobby, radiobobby.com. And I really hope that they're uh, going to like the music. I, I hope they're really going to like what's on the station and what's not on the station because, you know, I mean, whenever I hear a radio station or something out there, or, you know, I, you know I, I never watch TV, but I went to L.A., I'm in a motel room, I turned the TV on. I can't take it. I, I can't take the barrage of commercials for meat, dairy, fish, and egg products. Just, you know, all the slash food restaurants. I, I mean, I, I really, I had to turn off the TV immediately. So if I were able to listen to a music radio station, I really liked the music and I knew I'd never have to endure a commercial from, you know, McDevil's or Murder King or Wendy's or Kills Jr. or any, you know, meat, dairy, fish, eggs, wool, leather, feathers, fur, silk, you know, that uh, we, we hope that'll be enjoyable. And so it's a three-day weekend. With a little luck, we, uh, we'll, we'll be launching Radio Bobby and the music and, uh, so at RadioBobby.com. Well, do me a favor. If you do launch it, will you let me know so that I can put it on the, um, on the website and inform everybody on it? Because I have thousands of people and they'll, they'll want to listen. So make sure you send, you know, let me know, will you? 
Will do, absolutely. So I'll, All right, I'll let you I'll know, and maybe maybe we can add a little uh, positive element here in people's lives where, you know, great music can really make people feel good, and then they, there may even be a, a vegan message or two along the way, <laughs> or three, or a hundred, or a thousand. So Indeed. Yeah. Listen, best of luck with that. Let me know if it launches, will you? Thank you. Will do. Okay, sure. and we'll talk again next week. All right. Bye-bye, Bob. Okay, take care, Gary. All right, it is Go Vegan Radio at goveganradio.com. Go Vegan Radio with Bob Linden. And you can support our program with a tax-deductible donation at goveganradio.com. There is the donate button there. And um, let's see, am I going to take Daisy for a walk and continue the show after that? Uh, very possibly. Um, yeah, so we will continue. It's Go Vegan Radio with Bob Linden at goveganradio.com. And you can subscribe and support us via Patreon for as little as a dollar an episode or a dollar a week. Um, and if you'd like to do more than that, there's goveganradio.com. Okay, we will continue. This is Go Vegan Radio with Bob Linden at GoVeganRadio.com on Twitter at GoVeganRadio Facebook, Go Vegan Radio with Bob Linden. And yes, there are still those two Bob Linden pages because I'm, you know, I'm, I'm beside myself. What can I tell you? Um, so hopefully it's all up to Ben getting Radio Bobby on the air online <laughs> this this weekend. It's Memorial Day weekend. Um, and more important than people thinking that it's you know, the start of the summer season and the start of the grilling season, um, it could be the start of Radio Bobby, your new uh, music love affair, <laughs> the, the music experience of a lifetime with all kinds of great music. And uh, let's see, I'll let you in on the, the little secret since you listen on the vegan radio program. Um, it, it's it's a, a safe music station for vegans to listen because there will be no commercials for any products uh, concerning meat, dairy, fish, eggs, uh, wool, silk, leather, feathers, fur, um, any entertainment with animal exploitation, you know, no... We won't be giving any circus tickets away. We won't won't be giving any rodeo tickets away. So, uh, and we are looking for vegan sponsors since we are limiting ourselves. Um, so, if you uh, if you represent vegan products or services, you can email me. It's Bob at goveganradio.com. And I think once once you hear Radio Bobby, you'll probably everybody will be you know pounding down the doors to to get in and be a sponsor. So um, give it a listen. Again, uh, it's it's all up to Ben, my wonderful technical person, Ben Brayman. Uh, but he uh, he's off on a family emergency with an illness in the family, and uh, but he always uh, puts his heart and soul into the vegan cause. So. Uh, We'll probably stay up all night working at getting it together here. So we did pay our initial 
um, music publishing fees. So we've, we've done that and, you know, we're, we're kind of lined up and ready to go. And with a little luck, we do get started this Memorial Day weekend on Friday at noon. That's the target. And, uh, you know, you have a long three day weekend. You can listen to Radio Bobby hang out with us. You may decide like, you know, we're going to be close friends all summer on Radio Bobby. It's radiobobby.com. And, uh, I hope you enjoy it. I hope it uh, brightens your life, makes you happier. Um, and uh, again, so this is the weekend where we we hope to start Radio Bobby and we hope to stop anybody from grilling animals. You know, I mean, it supposedly the start of the uh, barbecue season, you know, where the, the family that... Uh, the family that uh, barbecues together, uh, you know, visits the oncologist together. So um, as you prepare your plate of grilled cancer, I want you to know that this this barbecue thing, you know, it's, it's got to stop uh, if you're if you're grilling uh, animals, you know, uh, you can do you can do all of the grilling without the killing by you know, grilling uh Vegan burgers, vegan chicken patties, tofu, vegetables. But uh, when you put someone on the grill, problems really start to happen. Uh, this is a report by the Physicians Committee for Responsible Medicine and its Cancer Project. And it's the five worst foods to grill. And uh, people don't uh, realize it. Uh, but... You know, I don't think anybody knows, really, except that if you listen to Go Vegan Radio with Bob Linden. I mean, nobody wants to spoil your fun. Three out of four adults own a grill or a smoker. They don't want to hear that, uh, you know, grilling animals you know, produces cancer-causing compounds called heterocyclic amines, HCAs. Um, and so, uh, PCRM, uh, asks which grilled food contains the highest levels of these carcinogens, uh, to answer that I'm quoting here to answer that question. Dietitians with the cancer project took a closer look at America's most commonly grilled foods. The findings cancer project, uh, dietitians determined that many commonly grilled foods contain alarmingly high levels of HCAs. Uh, let's see, this goes back to January 2005. The federal government officially added H HCAs to its uh, list of known carcinogens. Uh, studies have shown that exposure to PHIP, one type of HCA, uh, at levels as low as a hundred, uh, as levels as low as 10 to 20 nanograms per day is associated with roughly doubling of breast cancer risk. Consuming HCAs also increases the risk of several other cancers, including colon cancer. So, uh, Yes, uh, grilling is the, it's the height of cancer cooking, of cancer cookery, you know? 
So uh, here's a table that lists the five foods containing the highest levels of HCAs, the five worst foods to grill. Um, and so we'll have the food item and then we'll have HCAs, nanograms per 100 grams. Okay, so uh, food item, chicken, breast, skinless, boneless, grilled, well done, 14,000 nanograms per 100 grams of chicken. 14,000. What did we say was harmful before? We said HCA is at levels as low as 10 to 20 nanograms uh, per day uh, associated with roughly doubling breast cancer risk. So that's 10 to 20 nanograms. So when you're grilling uh, chicken breast, you're getting 14,000 nanograms. Uh, When you grill steak, well done. You get 810 nanograms. When you grill pig flesh, known as pork, barbecued pork, 470 nanograms. Uh, Salmon, grilled with skin, 166 nanograms. So even when we get down to the lower nanograms, the nano nanograms here, uh, as in salmon, um, 166 nanograms, and they're saying, you you know, you're in danger with 10 nanograms, so you're at... uh, you're at 16 times the danger zone right there with the lower levels of nanograms here. Hamburger grilled well done, 130 nanograms per 100 grams. These were all per 100 grams. A uh, 100 gram portion equals about 3.5 ounces of grilled flesh. So uh, doesn't look like it take, takes, mu- takes, takes much here. You know, the background, it says the risks of grilling meat heterocyclic amines, HCAs, a family of mutagenic and cancer-causing compounds, are produced when some meats, including chicken, beef, pork, and fish, are grilled, pan-fried, or broiled. HCAs can bind directly to DNA and cause mutations, the first step in cancer development. Meat naturally contains amino acids and a protein called creatine that is found in muscle tissue. When meat is grilled, this combination of amino acids and creatine form HCAs. The major classes of HCAs include amino, um, amino amidazoquinolines, uh, sure I'm not saying that right, or amino uh, imidazoquinoaxlaxalines. Okay, so, uh, <laughs> all right, maybe we, maybe we ought to skip that. Okay, so we'll, we'll, we'll skip my, uh, you know, polysyllabic uh, words here, and uh, so let's see, what's it saying here? Um Okay, a number of amino acids, uh, PHIP. Within these families, uh, MELQX and PHIP are the compounds found most abundantly in cooked meats. Meat need not be well done or charred to contain HCAs. Testing has found HCAs in grilled chicken cooked for just three minutes on each side. So it doesn't take much to 
to get the cancer uh, going, you know, to cook up that cancer there. HCAs, I'm quoting here, HCAs can pose a cancer risk even when consumed in small amounts. No safe level of PHIP, a common type of HCA linked to several forms of cancer, has been identified. It appears to increase cancer risk even at very low levels. So let's see. PAHs. Do I try? Do I try? Polycyclic aromatic hydrocarbons. Okay, that wasn't as painful as before. Okay. So uh, PAHSs or PAHs. Uh, grilling meat also produces other carcinogens. Grilling or broiling meat over a direct flame results in the production of PAHs. Uh, PAHs adhere to the surface of food. Uh, the more intense the uh, heat, the more PAHs are present. PAHs are widely believed to play a significant role in human cancers. Under chicken and fish, it says some consumers mistakenly believe that chicken and fish are more healthful options than beef, yet these uh, so-called products have about as much fat and cholesterol as beef, and grilled chicken and fish can contain even higher levels of HCAs than so-called red meat does. The Cancer Project uh, analysis has revealed that grilled chicken has more than 10 times the amount of HCAs in, uh, than uh, in grilled beef. Nearly all the HCAs detected were in the form of PHIP, which has been linked to increase, uh, increased risk of breast cancer, prostate cancer, and colon cancer. Uh, fish showed significant HCA formation as well so yes the uh the family that grills together uh, visits the oncologist together uh, so it also here in this uh analysis it talks about uh, vegan foods and uh, uh tells us that vegan foods do not contain hcas so creatine is found in muscle tissue not in uh vegan foods or you know plants, the food that grows from the earth. So uh, vegan foods do not produce detectable levels of HCAs when they are grilled. These healthful grilling options include soy-based veggie burgers, vegetable kebabs, uh, barbecued tofu, and portobello mushroom steaks. Uh, these foods also are low in fat and uh, do not contain cholesterol. Uh, so choosing vegan foods also lowers the risk of, uh, in, in other ways, uh, not only are vegetables low in fat and high in fiber, they also contain many cancer-fighting substances. Uh, carotenoids, the uh, pigment uh, that gives fruits and vegetables their dark colors, have been shown to help prevent cancer. Uh, beta carotene uh, present in dark green and yellow orange, uh, yellow and orange vegetables, yellow orange vegetables uh, helps protect against lung cancer and may help prevent cancers of the bladder, mouth, larynx, esophagus, breast, and other uh, sites. Many studies have found that diets rich in fruits and vegetables and low. 
uh, in animal fat uh, cut cancer risks. So what, why, why not make it no animal fat, no cholesterol uh, from animals, no HCAs, huh? When, when our vegan food is so much better. So um, you know, just finishing what uh, PCRM put out, it says, safer choices, what should go on the grill? It says, uh, avid grillers need not throw away the barbecue. Grilling can provide healthful meals. Reducing exposure to carcinogens is as simple as grilling a veggie burger instead of a hamburger, um, a thick portobello mushroom instead of a steak. Uh, cooks can marinate and prepare most of these veggie options, uh, just as they, uh, would with, uh, you know, eating flesh. So, so again, it, it went down a list here of, uh, veggie burgers or vegan burgers, uh, vegan chicken patties, vegan kebabs, uh, marinated portobello mushrooms, barbecue tofu or tempeh. Um, so they're, you know, they're, you, you have a choice, you have a choice. You can, uh, feed your family cancer and suffer the consequences. I mean, here it is. Here's the study. Once you hear it, once you hear it, how can you, uh, go near it? You know, like animals on the grill kind of, kind of gross anyway. So yes, you can do the grilling with none of the killing and uh you know avoid the carcinogens all right hey it is go vegan radio with bob linden at goveganradio.com i invite you to support this program with a tax deductible donation hit the donate button at goveganradio.com you can also subscribe via patreon and uh, people are starting to do that for as little as a dollar a month I think, uh, what do we have? Are we up to, to four subscribers now? So, all right, Go Vegan Radio. We're, we're raking in at least $4 a month now. So, uh, you know, that's, that's a start. It's not, it's not the millions of dollars going to the Humane Society of the United States or Mercy for Animals or the Humane League, the half a million dollars going to uh, Compassion Over Killing, you know, all to promote cage-free eggs, just different animal consumption. This is The Vegan Cause. Go Vegan Radio with Bob Linden at GoVeganRadio.com
Um, okay, so it's Go Vegan Radio with Bob Linden at GoVeganRadio.com. Uh, I hate asking for money, so let me ask you for uh, some money. Huh? Uh, see, everybody's doing it. All of the, you know, all of the YouTube channels and, and programs all that uh, uh, that are in the uh, progressive arena. Uh, all of them out there. Uh, looking for money, I guess YouTube was demonetized and a you know, whole whole controversy over that. Well, we've we've needed money for sixteen years, <laughs> and uh, and we're as progressive as anyone. In fact, I don't know how any how anybody can accomplish uh, you know and attain progressive uh, values without being vegan. You know, whether the issue is related to war, peace, social justice, you know, world hunger, disease. I mean, you, you name it. Uh, we're not getting there unless we go vegan. We're not, we're not going to really have a health plan unless we go vegan. Um, so anyway, we are as, you know, how how can you be progressive and not be vegan, right? So, but uh, we here at Go Vegan Radio with Bob Linden are uh, progressive enough to be concerned about human liberation, also, and uh, we have been supportive of uh, Chelsea Manning, formerly known as Bradley Manning, and uh, we uh, we are happy that Chelsea Manning has been released uh, she never should have been imprisoned uh, but uh, it seems that those who are controlling the courts the ones who should be in prison are making the decision so uh, of course revealing truth is really forbidden under penalty of arrest uh, so what's what's what you say uh, you know, don't worry uh, the the uh, Establishment media, uh, you know, CNN or, or MSNBCNN. Uh, nobody there is under threat of arrest. Don't worry about that. Nor at the, uh, you know, New York Times or the Washington uh, Compost. You know, don't worry. Nobody under threat of arrest for the truth at those places. But uh, Bradley Manning thrown in jail. Chelsea Manning, now liberated, and there is an interesting article in Counterpunch, what Bradley Manning revealed. Of course, we, we, we never get into substance, right? And, you know, everything is just so superficial in our news and from our media. But uh, Bradley Manning, now Chelsea Manning, uh, revealed a lot through WikiLeaks. WikiLeaks. We're, we're talking about two heroes here now. Uh, of course, Bra uh, Bradley Manning, Chelsea Manning, arrested, spending a lot of time in the brig. Um, Julian Assange, basically under house arrest, under the threat of arrest. So, uh, you know, any truth tellers are uh, under siege, basically, including under the Obama administration, the uh, persecution of journalists, uh, we are not allowed to hear the truth here, um, and uh, that's why I like to mention every week that uh, 
Did you know that animal agriculture is the number one cause of climate change, responsible for at least 51% of all greenhouse gas emissions, and the only solution before it's too late is a massive population shift to veganism? Throw me in the brig for saying that. So what did Bradley Manning reveal? What did Chelsea Manning reveal from Counterpunch? It says... um, Okay, what uh, what was revealed through uh, WikiLeaks? Manning uh, revealed to the public that there is an official policy to ignore torture in Iraq. The Iraq war logs published by WikiLeaks revealed that thousands of reports of prisoner abuse and torture had been uh, filed against the Iraqi security forces. Medical evidence detailed how prisoners had been whipped with heavy cables across the feet, hung from uh, ceiling hooks, uh, suffered holes being uh, bored into their legs with electric drills. Okay, Daisy, hang on a second, baby. I know it's hard to take. Who wants to hear this? Uh, We haven't heard about it. It was revealed uh, by uh, Private Manning. Here, Daisy. Daisy, Daisy, Daisy. Thank you. Um, So uh, what what were we saying? We were saying that uh, prisoners had been whipped with heavy cables across the feet, hung from ceiling hooks. Uh, They uh, suffered holes being bored into their legs with electric drills. They were urinated upon and sexually assaulted. These logs also revealed the existence of, uh, it says, uh, what is this, uh, Frago 242, an order implemented in 2004 not to investigate allegations of abuse against the Iraqi government. Um This order is a direct violation of the UN Convention Against Torture, which was ratified by the United States in 1994. The convention prohibits the armed forces from transferring a uh, detainee to other countries while there are substantial grounds for believing that uh, he she, I guess, would be uh, in danger of being subjected to torture. According to the State Department's own report, the U.S. government was already aware that the Iraqi security forces engaged in torture. U.S. defense contractors were brought under much uh, tighter supervision after leaked diplomatic cables revealed that they had been uh, complicit in child trafficking activities, DynCorp, D-Y-N, DynCorp, a powerful defense contracting firm that uh, claims almost $2 billion per year in revenue from U.S. tax dollars, threw a party for Afghan security recruits featuring boys purchased from child traffickers for entertainment. DynCorp, that's D-Y-N-C-O-R-P, had already faced human trafficking charges before this incident took place. According to the cables, Afghan uh, Interior Minister uh, Hamir Atmar urged the assistant U.S. ambassador to quash the story. Uh, These revelations have been a driving factor behind recent calls for the removal of all U.S. 
defense contractors from Afghanistan. Okay, what else did uh, Private uh, Manning reveal? Guantanamo prison has held mostly innocent people and low-level operatives. The Guantanamo files described how detainees were arrested based on what the New York Times referred to as highly subjective evidence. For example, some poor farmers were captured after they were found wearing a common watch or a jacket that was the same as those also worn by Al-Qaeda operatives. Um, How quickly innocent prisoners were released was heavily dependent on their country of origin because the uh, evidence collected against Guantanamo prisoners is not permissible in U.S. courts. The U.S. State Department has offered millions of dollars to other countries to take and try our prisoners, according to a U.S. diplomatic cable written on April 17, 2009. The Association for the Dignity of Spanish Prisoners requested that the National Court uh, indict six former U.S. officials for creating a legal framework. Well, on and on this goes. I don't know if, I, if that's of interest. But anyway, that was under the heading of Guantanamo Prison uh, has held mostly innocent people and low-level operatives, okay? Then uh, the other big headline in this, uh, there is an official tally of civilian deaths in Iraq and Afghanistan, even though the Bush and Obama administrations maintained publicly that there was no official count of civilian casualties. The Iraq and Afghanistan war log showed that uh, this claim was false. Uh <laughs> Well, what do you expect? It's the U.S. government talking here. It says between 2004 and 2009, the U.S. government counted a total of 109,000 deaths in Iraq with 66,000 classified as non-combatants. 66,000 non-combatants. This means that for every Iraqi death that is classified as combatant, two innocent men, women, or children are also killed. Amazing, huh? Well, your tax tax dollars at work, right? Another heading, U.S. military officials withheld information about the indiscriminate killings of Reuters journalists and innocent Iraqi civilians. The collateral, collateral murder video released by WikiLeaks depicted the indiscriminate slaying of over a dozen people in the Iraqi suburb of New Baghdad, including two journalists working for Reuters. The Reuters news organization has repeatedly been denied uh, in its attempts to obtain the video through the Freedom of Information Act. Okay, anyway, so so that goes on. Another heading. What else did we learn from uh, Manning? and WikiLeaks, the State Department backed corporate opposition to a Haitian minimum wage law. So that would be Hillary Clinton's State Department, well, Obama's State Department, right? So uh, the State Department, the U.S. State Department backed corporate opposition to a Haitian minimum wage law. 
It says leaked diplomatic cables show that in 2009, that sounds like uh, Obama time, Hillary time, the U.S. Embassy in Port-au-Prince pushed then Haitian President Rene uh, Breval. Am I right on that? Sorry, don't know the Breval, P-R-E-V-A-L, to come out in support of powerful textile manufacturers who sought to block a popular minimum wage increase. These factory owners who produce apparel for large brands like Nike and uh, Nautica had uh, benefited from recent free trade agreements that had severely lowered wages and working conditions in Haiti. That's where your billions went. That's where all the billions in donations went for worse conditions in Haiti. Um, So what does it say here? Uh, A series of cables showed that the U.S. Embassy closely monitored the movements and activities of student protesters supporting the $5 per day minimum wage bill that's right. There, there you go. You got to get the CIA chasing after them, and you know Hil- Hillary's people. They're 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 chasing down the the student activists who who want five dollars a day. You know, as if Democrats really support you know fifteen dollar an hour minimum wage, right? Uh, well, they didn't support five dollars a day in Haiti. What about all those? billions of dollars that were donated couldn't couldn't some of that go to i mean people are only asking for five dollars a day in haiti and uh u.s government is against it too much too much come on you want to hurt the corporations here the corporations that uh represent the Democrat Party and the Republican Party, of course. Uh, So it says the bill supporters had argued that the increase was justifiable, uh, was justified in light of rising inflation and food costs that had led to widespread starvation. And people don't seem to realize that it was Bill Clinton's policies that led to starvation in Haiti. He decimated uh, rice farming in Haiti, um, but we forget, we forget the Democrats are good guys. Bill Clinton's a good guy, you know? All right. What else does it say here, uh, in this article? Um, it says the U S government had long been faking its public support for Tunisian president, Ben Ali. Can't say I know much about that story. So I'll just scroll down and we'll, We'll study up on what that means. It says, uh, known Egyptian torturers received training from the FBI in Quantico, Virginia. Okay, so we, uh, yeah, in Virginia, we're, we're training people to torture. You know, the FBI is training people to torture in Egypt. Ugh. And uh, thank you, uh, Comey. Comey, I guess Comey uh, was... Uh, FBI director, right? So, and, and and how do we feel about him today? Is is he a hero? Is he an enemy? I forget. On on any given day, if uh, we like lo- we love Comey or hate him, I I don't remember what it is today. Uh, let's see. We we hate him because he cost uh, Hillary the election, uh, but we love him because Trump fired him. Okay, what else do we see in this uh, common dreams? article no counterpunch i'm sorry this article in counterpunch on 
what was revealed by Manning and Whippy, Whippy Leaks, Whippy, uh, Wiki Leaps, Whippy, Whippy, the, the, the torturers. Yeah, they're Whippy. They're, they're Whippy happy. They're Whippy crazy. It says the State Department authorized the theft of the UN Secretary General's DNA. <laughs> what am I, what is, what's going on here? Okay, well, according to the National, um, what is it? The National Human Collection Directive, a secret document that was signed by Secretary of State Hillary Clinton and published by WikiLeaks. U.S. diplomats were authorized to collect biometric and other sensitive information from top U.N. officials as well as UN representatives from other nations, the leaked documents show that uh, biometric data specifically include samples of the official's DNA, among other forms of personally of, of personally identifying information. Uh, they also ordered diplomats to collect credit card information and secure passwords. Uh, these. Uh, Activities uh, contravene the 1946 UN Convention. You mean it's not legal? You mean all countries over at the UN aren't collecting everybody's DNA there and credit card information? <laughs> we have some government. I want to tell you, we have the government, you know. I guess you get the, the government uh, you deserve, the best government that corporations can buy we've got it also under this counterpunch article head, head okay another headline uh the japanese and u.s governments had been warned about the seismic threat at fukushima says a cable from December 2008 showed that officials from the International Atomic Energy Agency had warned the government about the danger posed by potential seismic activity in the area. The officials stated that Japan's uh, safety guides for seismic safety have only been revised three times in the last 35 years. He also noted that the government had fought against uh, a court order to close down another nuclear facility that was not adequately prepared for an earthquake. After being ignored by the Japanese government, the IAEA official also warned the U.S. ambassador to Japan about the looming threat from possible earthquake damage. These warnings went unheeded. The International Atomic Energy Agency has now ranked the Fukushima disaster as severe as Chernobyl. But that's okay because the Japanese and U.S. governments had been warned about the seismic threat at Fukushima. And uh, who cares? Okay, then it also says the Obama administration allowed Yemen's president to cover up a secret U.S. drone bombing campaign. What else? What else? What else? I guess that's that's about it for this. So I just thought it would be uh, interesting as uh, Chelsea Manning has been released uh, to go over a bit of what uh, she released or he released well, when 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 she was a he. So there you have it. Um, 
And I guess, well, the show's going long. I guess uh, probably time for another walk for Daisy. So we'll do that. Um, okay. Once again, I invite you to discover. Um, <laughs> I don't know if it's going to be on this weekend or not. Where the target is Friday at noon Pacific time for Radio Bobby. Go to radiobobby.com. Uh, it's coming hopefully Friday at noon. If not, any moment after that, your new favorite music radio station coming soon to uh, whatever you know self-surveillance device you want you know your laptop smartphone tab you know what, whatever the cia uses to keep tabs on you uh will also be a source of musical entertainment for you okay once again let me invite you to support this program with a tax-deductible donation by finding the donate button at goveganradio.com you can also subscribe via patreon for as little as a dollar a month you can help us uh, keep on keeping on and again i thank you for listening and if you have not done so as yet, where have I failed? What, 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 what do I need to say, please, to, to uh, convince you that it's, it's time to go vegan? <laughs>